Welcome to Integrative Conversations, hosted by the Academy of Integrative Mental Health. The Academy is committed to offering high-quality, evidence-based education, training, workshops, and consultation for mental health professionals. I am Juniper Owens, the Academy Director, and your host for today's conversation. In today's conversation, Margie Odin discusses emotional eating cycles and what Margie describes as the weight within. Before we start though, I want to share with you a free course that we have designed specifically for busy mental health professionals who work tirelessly to hold space for others every day. We need to take care of ourselves as well in order to make this important work sustainable and to remain physically and mentally healthy ourselves. This self-care crash course for mental health professionals is a five-day journey exploring various forms of self-care. Many of our formal educational programs or the agencies we work in talk about self-care, but I rarely see it practiced as a lived experience. To me, self-care is an intention or way of seeing yourself in the world, rather than just another thing to check off your to-do list. When I started seeing self-care as a way to approach my thoughts and actions, I realized that caring for myself is an art, not a science, and every day it looks different. For every body, it looks different. We discuss this and more in the course, which covers nutrition as self-care, mindfulness, the healing power of nature and movement, Each day includes a guided practice, so instead of just talking or thinking about self-care, you have an opportunity to practice it. Plus, you have access to the videos after taking the courses so so that you can come back to them as needed as part of your self-care plan. To sign up for the course for free today, please check out www.holisticmentalhealthschool.com, which is our online learning academy. The Holistic Mental Health School offers integrative mental health courses, certifications, crash courses, and webinars for personal and professional development. And now, let's dive in to the conversation with Margie Odin on emotional eating and the weight within. For years, Margie Odom struggled keeping weight off that she so desperately wanted to and couldn't find a diet that helped her succeed. She tried it all. So when nothing worked, she knew she had to dig deeper if she wanted a lasting change in her life. It was then that she realized to keep the physical weight off, she needed to come to grips with the weight that she carried within. As a therapist, coach, author, and speaker, Margie helps others stop their emotional eating cycle by using her proven strategies that helped her find a solution to end her cycle of yo-yo dieting for good. Thanks to her book, The Weight Within, Healing Emotional Eating from the Inside Out, and her coaching programs that she has been able to help clients free themselves from the weight within and start living their best lives. Margie earned her undergraduate degree in psychology from Emory University completed her master's degree in counseling at the University of Georgia, and completed her coursework in marriage and family therapy at Western Kentucky University. Known for her honesty, humor, and passion for learning, 
Margie's emotional eating clients benefit from her personal success and deep desire to share her creative programs with others. Her mission is to help as many people as possible break free from emotional eating and live the life they were meant to live. You can learn more by visiting her website, www.weightwithin.com. And I'm so excited to welcome Margie to Integrative Conversations today. So glad to be here. Welcome. <laughs> so excited. I think that um, I'm really glad you're here. I think this topic is pertinent as that about half my clients are discussing the trials and tribulations of yo-yo dieting, weight with it, or the um, emotional eating and it's really struggling lifetime. Yeah. Yeah. It's a huge problem right now with lots of people. Mm. I'm happy to be here. All right. Well, let's, let's start off with learning a little bit more about you and your journey. So on your website, you describe your personal struggle with emotional eating and yo-yo dieting and that your breakthrough came when you realized that healing had nothing to do with finding the right diet and instead had everything to do with a journey of self-understanding and self-love. Mm-hmm. Can you talk more about that? Well. Yeah. I mean, I stumbled upon solutions through my own personal, you know, um, messes really, you know, I, I was a professional dieter. I had done every diet out there, lost so many pounds, but always kept gaining them back. And I really couldn't understand why, because I think I have great willpower and lots of stamina, love to exercise. And it was just a really exhausting, depressing cycle that I was stuck in when everything else in my life seemed like it was going pretty well. Um, And what happened was actually, I lost my mother. Um, It's been a few years ago now that I lost my mother. And you know, when you go through grief like that, even as a therapist, sometimes you forget, oh, okay, I, I'm going to need to reach out for some help. So once I started to uh, look into first doing some therapy work and then kind of feeling like mm, there's some other themes in my life I want to hit and really getting into doing some energy work and then training myself in energy work. And I just found this great tie in between um what therapy can do and what other integrative methods can do, especially when they're brought together. So um, once I started to heal a lot of the themes in my life that had been holding me back, I started to recognize like this emotional eating is just an acting out process of everything that I've been holding inside. And once you let it go, not just through your mouth by talking, but in a whole top to bottom kind of way, you don't really need that coping skill anymore. So that's what I love to see my clients achieving. Yeah, you, that sounds like quite a journey. And it started with what I'm hearing. It started with food and dieting and what you were putting in your mouth. But it sounds like through the path of your journey, it became more of what was actually already inside your yeah. body. Can you explain more about what you were holding inside or what typically you see your clients holding on to in that Absolutely. way? Absolutely. You know, so many times, um, I mean, I was a lot like my clients. Um, I think there's a, there's a personality that kind of goes sometimes with these issues and it's looking super confident and well organized on the outside. You know, I got it all going on. I have a good job. I mean, my family's great. You know, I have friends, you know, things going on. I'm always 
looking at the next thing. And so a lot of um, clients of mine who struggle with this are the same way. They've got it all going on. And so they, they look that way because they're holding things in. For me personally, I had, you know, a lot of themes in my childhood, things like, um, you know, sort of not feeling good enough, really right from the start. I mean, my parents wanted a boy and I let them down. <laughs> and then I hate to laugh about that, but I can now at least. But, um, you know, it started from really, that's my birth story. Which boy name are we going to name her? And and there I was a girl. And, um, you know, it kind of went from there, like um, being pigeonholed. We had a large family, lots of kids being pigeonholed into a stereotype of being a very sensitive child and, and that being seen in a negative way, which I was a very sensitive child, but it was part of who I, my life's purpose to be that way. Um, you know, and um, my my father is a wonderful man, um, but he's very focused on exterior. And I got a lot of messages about women and what makes women worthy and body image. And um, when it wasn't until, you know, my earliest adulthood years that I started to actually have any weight gain. So once that started happening, I really felt lost, like, well, where's my worth now? Um, And um, if I'm not, you know, uh, being this attractive person, that was my pigeonhole in my family. If I'm not the attractive one, then what is my purpose? And um, if I'm not making other people happy being who they want me to be, then what's my purpose? And that was really painful. Um, And then I started acting that out into my marriage and other relationships. And uh, it was just a big, uh, you know, ball of stuff inside that I had no idea was there. I really didn't realize it. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I see that a lot in my own life, as well as my clients and friends and family. And you, you mentioned that idea that why isn't this working for me? I'm smart. I can get things done in my life. You know, a lot, I hear this a lot, like what, what am I doing wrong? And like, I'm I'm also curious. So when you were doing all this work and your journey and integrative modalities, what did you notice about your weight and your diet? Tell me, can you give more about how that changed? Yeah, it was like that whole process. It was really interesting because the first part was really um, an awareness of, my body is not the determining factor in my worth. Like I had to go through that piece first and that was really tough for me. (laughs) You know, what if I never lose this weight? Because I happen to have some metabolic issues and thyroid and things like that. And I, I was like, maybe that's because my weight wouldn't come off. I got to that point where it just literally wouldn't come off anymore. And I was like, okay, I'm just going to have to accept myself the way I am. So that was really part one. (laughs) And that actually um, ended up not being true because once I got to the place where I was ready to let it go, um, it it came off fairly effortlessly. It's amazing, really. But um, leading up to that, it was really just um, me accepting first that piece and then, um, you know, realizing that my weight served a lot of purposes in my life, maybe maladaptive purposes, but purposes nonetheless, like protection, um, you know, no opportunity for someone to 
well, to judge me as either attractive, sexy, whatever, because I already um, wasn't in my own mind. So it's like, oh, well, I already think that about myself. So I'm not putting myself out there, you know, um, lots of that kind of thing, um, that it was all uh, serving these purposes. I had no idea. Plus the food itself, you know, I, I used it as a crutch. So anytime I wanted to push a feeling down, I'll just, you know, eat it away. Um, and then when um, you take that away, you have the opportunity to see where you might have done that and how you want to do it differently. And then you can start employing those energy methods right there on the spot. It's very empowering. Ooh, I can't wait to hear more about that. And that really leads me into the next question I had for you. So, and this kind of describes more about the strategies, but in your book, you discuss the types of emotional eating uh, and also strategies to form a healthy relationship with food. Uh, I'd love to know more about the foundation of kind of your model or path that, that you work with and some strategies, interventions, modalities that support folks in transforming the way they view dieting, nutrition, and weight. Okay. So uh, first of all, I sort of really don't talk about diets at all with my clients and it drives them crazy. They're like, I, oh, you do emotional eating. So tell me how to lose weight. And I'm always like, that's step five, you know, um, we've got a long way to go. And, and so, you know, the first thing they have to do is similar to what I had to do. They have to accept that the diet is not step one and um, choosing the right food comes later. And it's a lot easier to do that when you're not battling inner traumas and emotional um, issues. You know, um, the food has served a purpose for a long time in helping them soothe and feel better and um, work through feelings that they don't know how to feel any other way. So taking that away right from the get-go only sparks the emotional eating cycle. And in my book, I talk a lot about that. Um, so the first thing I do is make clients aware that there is a cycle that we all go through. Um, the first step being the diet. The diet actually sparks the cycle. And when you go on a diet and you're being really restrictive and you're following all the rules, an emotional eater feels amazing. They're like, I'm on top of the world. Like, I can do this forever. Like, this is really not that hard. Why did I wait so long? And then the weight loss just kind of fuels that uh, feeling of control and power. And you feel better about yourself. You're happier. You start engaging with people. Um, all the things that you're kind of not doing when you were in a low place until you start to have some events and I call that rumbling. Um, and the reason I call it rumbling is from my days as a school counselor, because that's a term that's used um, in education to start recognizing, especially with like autistic children, like a precursor to misbehavior. Okay. And so I call it the rumbling stage because it's like, what are the precursors to the binge? You know, um, these big events that come up or fight with your significant other or, um, you know, your kids are uh, depressed about something and you don't know how to help them. I mean, anything that makes you feel overwhelmed, powerless, hopeless, you know, those big, really deep-seated negative beliefs of self and emotional positions that we get into – are part of that rumbling stage and all of that leads into the binge. And once you're in the binge, that's where you just sort of, you know, kind of go into this 
trance-like state where you're like, I'm just eating and having a good time. I'm going to go meet my friends from Mexican. Life is good and everything's fine. And you just ignore the scale for a while. And, you know, what what's going on is you're gaining weight, but you're just turning a blind eye to it because you just want to feel better and free. Free is a big word. I want that freedom. I want to feel good. Um, and then all of a sudden, you know, that starts to catch up with you. Maybe you uh, happen to see the scale in the bathroom and just, hmm, I'm going to step up on here or something. And you realize the damage is done again. And boy, does that really kick you. Um, it's a horrible feeling. And it really takes you to a low, low place where you get into some self-hatred, self-disgust, really negative self-talk. Um, and you'll stay there until you find the next diet solution you want to try. And there it goes again. So that is the first piece with my clients is getting them to understand that cycle and where they are in it at all times so that they can recognize it because knowing it is different than changing it, you know, so they have to get aware and we have to have that common language. And then we get into really looking at the development of who they are. Um, I do assessments for personality, human development. Um, we look at what drives their survival, what drives their performing adaptation, um, like that really translates into the quiz that I have on my website, which is all about what type of emotional eater you are. Um, that comes from personality development and um, why we perform and do the things that we do that may or may not make any sense whatsoever, but at some point they did, <laughs> you know, so why would you grab a brownie instead of an apple when you know a brownie is going to do bad things to your body and an apple's not? Well, it's because at some point that made sense and you learned to cope that way. And that's, that happened a lot earlier than last week. So we get into that type of history and, um, then we start working on um, what comes up with that. You know, once you have that history, it's like, where did these um, negative beliefs of self, these repressions, these states of powerlessness come from? Where did that fall in your development? Um, and, and understanding that, you know, when you treat anyone who treats trauma understands looking back at that history of negative belief and how critically important that is to help people shift out of fight or flight type reactions into thinking and coping in an adaptive way. Yeah. And so we go through all of that. And then once they're ready for that, we get into energy work, um, which for me, I call havening energy work, even though it's not called that. And, and to me, it's energy work because that's what I experience with my clients. You're in their space and you're working with them in their field, and you're helping them clear really painful things. Um, and once they clear some of those painful things, they can start to look at how they want to be more resilient today and what they want to do. Um, we also do tapping work. I'm a big fan of EFT tapping. Um, lots of visualizations and guided meditations. Um, we do, uh, sometimes I do EMDR if it's appropriate. Um, and then I have some other uh, techniques like uh, Reiki that I will do with clients. Um, and sometimes, uh, depending on a client, uh, I will go into spiritual realms with them if that's their comfort zone. And we'll do some work in um, some spiritual things too. Uh, not that I claim to be an expert in that area, but 
sometimes I've seen some miraculous things happen when we go there too. So, so what I'm hearing is the, there's kind of an initial stage and in that stage, you're getting a lot of data, you're understanding what's going on with the person and they're empowered to understanding what's going on with them. So their beliefs about themselves and about food and then get diving a little deeper um, you, with the quizzes and all of that. And then I hear that there's a healing phase um, and that's helping once it's been identified and worked with there some type of healing that needs, that sounds like it needs to occur. Right. And, and, and then after, well, I don't want to say, cause I know that the, it's not a linear process. Like I know like with therapy and anything else, it's more like a spiral or something like that. But if we're going to kind of put it like that, so you have the healing and then do they get to talk about food? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Then we really look at, you know, because we're all different. There's no one size fits all. So, you know, um, sometimes people will say that to me, like, so do you not diet now? I mean, like what, you know, and I'm like, no, I mean, you know, I have to keep myself in a range and I have to think about what I'm eating. It's not like I just go through my day um, freely eating brownies and cupcakes and then somehow I've achieved where I want to be. It's, it's a conscious thing. It just doesn't feel as heavy, you know. Um, it's so heavy when you're in this cycle. But by the time you've started the diet, you have, you have kicked yourself around so much the starting of the diet just feels so hard. And um, that's not how you feel when you step outside the cycle. So, you know, um, sometimes I, I work with people just who want to learn how to kind of do like an eat this, not that kind of uh, type of food plan. Or sometimes I refer people to, um, you know, health coaches and, and people like that who are more focused on holding someone's hand through a specific nutritional plan. That's not really what I do. Yeah, that makes sense. And you, as we're talking about some of the themes that might arise, you mentioned trauma and we're going to get to that a little bit later, but I'm just curious of what themes you see arising in your clients. Are there themes and, um, if somebody's listening right now, either a clinician or someone in the public, what would be a good place to start with that once you've identified a theme? So um, knowing, knowing things, this is, I tell clients this all the time. It's like, when you know something, you're talking about the neck up. It's like, okay, I know I'm an emotional eater. I know that like, I um, need to lose weight. I know that, you know, I'm struggling in these areas of my life, but feeling it is completely different and, and getting um, some congruity between the head and the body um, is really hard for emotional eaters. They, um, they really don't, they're not in touch with their body at all uh, because they don't like it. <laughs> it it's like, you know, um, I just want to pretend you're not there. So um what I tell people is if you think you're stuck in the cycle that I described and you feel like your negative um, beliefs of self, like, you know, I'm trapped in my relationship or I'll never achieve the job I want because um, I'll never be able to go back to school because my kids are my first priority or whatever it is that you're telling yourself that seems to be this repeated pattern of stuckness or trappedness in your life. 
when that's hitting for you, um, it's, it's hard to see in yourself and especially to feel in yourself. So don't expect to just be able to analyze yourself and go, okay, well, I have this negative belief about myself that I'm helpless. And if I could just figure that out, then I'd be okay. It's like work with people, um, talk to people who know you, see a therapist, see a coach, work through, um, you know, how to really identify the true theme, not the one that seems like it's the theme or the one from the neck up. And once you have that, you can start doing some of what I talked about, healing that so it's not triggerable anymore. You know, emotional eating is a, a, a trigger reaction. Like, I can't take it. Uh, next thing I know, I've eaten the entire bag of chips or I'm mind numbed or I did this or I did that. You know, if you um, recognize a theme, then you have to get it out of your life, <laughs> you know, so it doesn't continue to be your story anymore. Uh, that's hard to do. It requires some assistance. It's, um, but once you do, it is the greatest joy you could possibly have because it's not holding you back anymore. I want that for everybody, not just emotional eaters. We all have themes that we need to work through. So, mm-hmm. yeah. yeah, absolutely. And I mean, I hear that term a lot is like freedom. Like, what would you love freedom? And I know that some popular quote diets We'll talk about things like food freedom, um, but what you're talking about seems like an even more um, authentic, more layered, deeper freedom because it's freedom within yourself. Absolutely. And so if you're looking for a food plan that's going to free you, you've got it backwards. You need to get free so you can do the food plan. You know, it's much easier on the other side. So um, that's, that's just, it's a hard thing for people to shift in that way because they want solutions now. And we're all in this lifestyle where we get solutions fast. I mean, you could, you could go out there and lose 50 pounds really fast. Okay. But how are you going to sustain that? Like the, the thing that that's like so disheartening to me the most is when a client comes to me and they're right in the middle of like, one of these diets like HCG where you eat 500 calories a day or something. And if you're on HCG, I'm sorry. Sorry for saying this right now. But um, when you eat 500 calories a day and then you transition off that diet, it's incredibly difficult to sustain that. I, I actually don't know anyone who has. So including myself, I've tried it, of course. And so when they come in and they're like, I'm on HCG and I want you to help me so I don't gain this weight back. It's like, oh, no. Uh-oh. You know, you're not going to like what I have to say, but what if we try to, you know, stop the bleeding a little bit <laughs> and get you where you're not going all the way back to where you were before or something like that? Um, you know, so I'm, I'm always trying to meet people where they are, but there's just facts around those kind of diets. They just are not freedom at all. They're a prison. Mm-hmm. Speaking of someone who has also tried multiple... Yeah styles. Uh, I absolutely agree. And I'm really glad that you spoke to a few things I wanted to kind of get a little deeper in with. But one um, was the reward that you get for following the rules and being successful in the beginning. Um, My personality type is exactly the same. I'm like, look, I a whole week and I I love like rewards. So if I get little like, um, you know, I finished my fitness pal nutrition thing for the day. And I was under my goal. I'm like, I won. Yeah. Um, 
And then like it, you're, that cycle, it just really spoke to me because then I'm just like, screw this. Mm-hmm. And then you go back. But that being said, you mentioned um, triggers. It's a trigger reaction. Mm-hmm. And I'm curious of um, learning more about that. And also talking about, um, you talked about trauma and viewing this work that you do with your clients through a trauma lens. And um, maybe speaking a little bit about what that looks like for you. Yeah, so that kind of goes hand in hand. And I would say, um, great question. I would say like with trauma, uh, it's been identified to me that there are what's called big T traumas and little T traumas. And that was always really helpful to me because I was like, well, I mean, if you look at my life, I mean, there was hardship, but I didn't experience any huge event um, that would be classified as a big T trauma, um, but lots of little T trauma. I can say, oh yeah, that that's that's true. And so you don't need to have had a catastrophic event or, you know, series of catastrophic events to have had trauma in your life. Um, what needs to happen is, you know, for me personally, I was pretty, um, vulnerable to trauma because um, I grew up in a household with sort of neglect, I would say, not like in the typical child abuse fashion, but like not present parents, you know, and so I was left to my own devices to think my way through things in a childlike way and to find childlike solutions for things. And so um, I started to feel a lot of the time unimportant, I don't matter, you know, and I, I, I hear that a lot from clients too. Like, I just felt like I didn't matter. I was invisible. Like, um, no matter what I did, it wasn't good enough. Um, and so that's traumatic. It's traumatic. I mean, when you're a kid and you don't feel important or you don't feel good enough for whatever your parents who are the most important people in your life, or even other significant people, if you're not, where they lead you to believe you should be, which is wrong. It's terribly wrong. But kids, they hear those messages and they start to believe them about themselves. And then, you know, there's all kinds of other events that happen like bullying or moving a lot or, um, you know, losses, um, untimely losses or catastrophic events, you know, true catastrophes. Uh, sexual abuse can be a huge problem in terms of body image and eating issues. Um, So, um, you know, what happens with triggers is those traumas are, you know, categorized in the brain differently than other memories. You know, we, we store trauma in, in the amygdala of our brain, which is a primal place. It is fight or flight. Um, And the amygdala is amazing. It's very associative. So um, if you were in a bank robbery and then you went skiing the next year and someone had a ski mask on, you might suddenly find yourself incredibly phobic (laughs) of a ski mask because someone in a bank robbery had a ski mask on. And that's because the amygdala is associative. It expands. And so just because something doesn't seem to you familiar from childhood, it doesn't mean it's not to the amygdala, okay? And that amygdala does not speak English. So talk therapy is not going to touch it. Um, you can't get your amygdala to change by talking to it. 
And so telling someone to calm down is the best example I have. So if you're in fight or flight and I say calm down, you're not going to want to calm down and your amygdala doesn't either. So um, you have to come at the amygdala from another place. And so when you get, when those old traumas to the amygdala seem triggered, so something associative, in other words, um, I cleaned the whole house today so that when my husband gets home from work, he is going to be so happy to come home to a clean home. And then he comes home and he's had a bad day and doesn't even notice. Well, there you go. I don't matter. I'm unimportant. Okay. And that theme or that trauma in the amygdala gets highlighted. What am I going to do with that? You know, I could start screaming at him. You don't appreciate me. I could, um, go and retreat into myself and, and just get really depressed and sad. I could go eat some food. You know, I could go have a drink. I mean, people do all kinds of things to deal with those um, things that come up, but most of those reactions are coming from the amygdala and they're not thought out. None of them. So that's what I mean by triggers and trauma kind of going hand in hand and feeling really like, okay, um, that just happened and I didn't even realize it. Okay, because once the amygdala comes back down and you're thinking again, you're like, I can't believe I ate this entire bag of chips. Like, what in the world? But it's because you had that response that to that trigger and you were doing what you needed to do to soothe yourself in that moment. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think that you do you do you notice speaking along the same lines, do you notice similar um responses to the trigger? So um my experience personally and professionally is that the triggers can be totally different, but sometimes the responses are similar in that, like you mentioned going inward um, with a kind of a, just being really sad. I must not be good enough because they didn't notice or good enough to love or whatever, or the response could be outward. So are those very similar type of reaction or responses? Because my sense is, is that people might not even know they're being triggered into emotional eating. Like they're just going with it. So like identifying those, what do you usually notice with, with that? That's a great question too. And I think what people tend to, when, one of the activities that I have in my book and that I use with clients a lot is about going through life stages um, and life events and looking at your weight loss and gain in conjunction with that. And um, those two journeys, and when you line them up side by side, you start to see um, how you managed uh, with food in different life circumstances. So, you know, like one of my clients moved uh, constantly throughout her childhood. And so, um, you know, weight loss and weight gain started with that and also um, some social issues and some issues with her parents and all of that. You could see the cycle and how she internalized and then used the food. Okay, people who externalize, um, you know, actually are less likely to be an emotional eater because they're not repressing or stuffing something down, but that doesn't mean that they don't. So, for example, like um, I have a, a client who's a very, like, she came to me initially because she has a temper and she doesn't like the way that she yells. It's reminiscent of her father. She doesn't like the way that she yells at her husband. And, um, what happens after she yells at her husband is she goes internal and beats herself up. She doesn't go back to him and apologize because that feels really vulnerable to her. So she just starts beating herself up and then she'll have an emotional eating episode. 
Okay. And so you'd think, oh, that's an externalizer, but it's not. <laughs> she just doesn't know what to do. We don't know what to do. It feels overwhelming. And it's based on your personality type and how you've developed. There's lots of different reasons why you get to that spot. So we were talking about earlier with trauma and negative beliefs and how many of those are being brought to the surface with everything that you just described. I mean, um, an ongoing pandemic with no end in sight, social isolation, um, powerlessness, uh, feeling of lack of trust in people in authority, um, you know, no control. There's so many things happening. Um, and I think, you know, a lot of people just are grieving um, and really grieving what they had before the pandemic. And it takes time for all of that to evolve. Um, there's just a, a really um, many, many themes going on that could lead to somebody. And I want to just say, it's not just emotional eating, your personal acting out behavior. You know, um, we have other vices that are very similar and addictive, like gambling or drinking or, you know, smoking too much pot or, um, you know, uh, escapes, escape hatches from reality. Um, people, I mean, I work with couples too, people who started affairs. Um, like, would you ever think that this would be the time where affairs would spark, but that's what's happened. And so, um, just a lot of negative behaviors that are acting out behaviors because people feel powerless, uh, they feel hopeless, and um, out of control. And that is what tends to cause people to do the things that they do that are counterproductive in their life and really lead to the, um, again, that backslide of self-disgust and self-hatred after you come out of your trance state. So, yeah, great question. Yeah, it sounds like, you know, nothing new necessarily, but a trigger response. And for some people, it could be like, because the stress and the anxiety and the uncertainty is just at a higher stakes level, maybe that trigger response or the reaction with the with the cycle that your emotional eating cycle you just talked about could even be more intense. Mm -hmm. And for some, like myself, it was actually, I didn't expect it or notice or even realize or notice that it was happening. Yeah. Um, sometimes I'm a little bit more on top or like I notice, oh, you're doing this right now. But with that one, I didn't even think, notice it. So I think you're right. It's just, it seems like this, a similar cycle of your acting out behaviors, but like on crack <laughs> or on steroids, you know, like, yeah. And the overwhelm that goes with, I mean, you know, especially when the school year was happening and we're cranking back into that again now. So here locally, of course, like kids uh, in public school will be doing online learning again. And it's like, um, that's so hard for working parents, stay home parents, all parents, because they're trying to balance what life was like before that and now what it's going to be like. And um, it's really a big change for a lot of people and teachers who have kids of their own. There's just so much to that fear of getting sick all the time. So if you're in your amygdala in that fight or flight constantly, you're looking for that self-soothing. And if you tend to turn to food, you're going to do it a lot more often. Uh, excellent points on that. 
And, and before we kind of wind it down and do our guided practice, I'm just curious of what it would look like to work with you. And also could some people or even clinicians who want to learn more about this to help their clients, um, would just reading the book be sufficient? Is there any other resources that you recommend besides your book? And then, yeah, what would working with you look like if somebody, if I was to refer a client to you, because I'm already, I already have like 10 in mind. <laughs> I can already think of it. Great. Um, that's awesome. Okay. So, um, well, you know, with my emotional eating, that is strictly coaching. I have shifted um, that out of my therapy practice. Um, and so when I work with clients, I have two programs right now. One is individual coaching where they, um, sign up with me. They prefer um, to work one-on-one and strictly on their own themes and their own issues um, and not get that group support. So um, a lot of clients actually um, choose individual coaching. Um, I really am a big fan of group coaching. It's less expensive and, um, you know, you get the group support and the potential for some connections and accountability down the line when you're done with your work. Um, So uh, both of them are great options. Those are my two programs. There's um, information about both of those on my website Um, for therapists. And and I do recommend the book for clients uh, as a starting point because there's individual exercises and activities in there. And I love when someone's read the book and then they come to me because they're like, okay, I understand this. Like I was saying, they got the neck up. Okay, so what do I do next? Okay, and I love that. That's super exciting. We get really deep with our work. So um, for therapists, you know, um, I absolutely want to start teaching therapists about what I do. Um, That is kind of the next phase of my work. So, you know, I really want to start a course. Um, It may be an online teachable type course um, for therapists to learn because, you know, what, one of the main things that I personally learned as a therapist was resources on this are pretty slim and it's very cognitive behaviorally focused. If you look at eating disorder treatment, um, it's gotten better with mindfulness. Like that's, I'm a huge supporter of that as a technique, but um, there's a CBT kind of theme to eating disorders that I am just not, and that's not my type of work. And so I kept trying to see how, how can I adapt this to what I do and um, really kind of hitting a wall with that. And so um, what I do, I feel is very unique. Um, and I think therapists that want to learn this methodology and help clients would be amazing. I love to get a cohort of therapists together that want to learn that and start teaching it. So Um, But if you're interested and you read my book and you want to collaborate with me, I do, I have done, and I will do coaching sessions with therapists um, that are working with clients, Um, just do like uh, one-on-one coaching uh, individual sessions to help them through their case. Um, And I love doing that too. It's exciting stuff. So, um, and I don't know if that fully answered your question, but. Oh, absolutely. Yes. And it sounds like, um, that it sounds like if you, we wanted, if, if it could be an adjunct to therapy. Mm-hmm. And so coaching and therapy actually go really well together. Yeah. And my other, only other question about the individual and group coaching is that, is that on, um, 
online or through Zoom or is that live? Obviously. It's all online. Um, even pre-pandemic, <laughs> it was online. Um, and I do that to keep it separate from my therapy practice. Um, I have had instances where a coaching client lives locally um, and they want to come into my office because the type of energy work that we're doing or something has come up that's really traumatic. Um, but it's, it remains under the coaching umbrella and I, I, I keep them as two separate entities. So once you're a coaching client, you're a coaching client. If you're a therapy client, you can't become a coaching client. You know, I keep them separate. Um, so, uh, you know, I can work with people outside of Kentucky legally and, and not break any ethical rules or anything like that. So generally speaking, it is all online. And one other piece to follow up with that is you talked about some of the energy healing and the modalities that you all that you work with with your clients. And what does that look like online? Yeah, so everything I do can be done online, um, starting with havening. Um, havening can be self-facilitated with me uh, guiding you through. Um, tapping is self-facilitated. And when I, I teach clients how to tap, I do it with them so they don't feel strange. Same with havening. Um, and um, EMDR can be done virtually. I had to study that. I had not done that until the pandemic, but I've been doing that successfully. Um, and that's very interesting. And, um, you know, as far as some of the other methods I was talking about, like in the spiritual um, side of things, guided meditations, I do all of that online. I personally, um, up until about a year ago, was a lot less comfortable with online format, but have become really comfortable with it. And I, I see it as an equivalent to in office for almost everything. Um, not every single thing, but almost. I've been very pleased with that because you can reach so many more people. Yeah, agreed. And I think a lot of people, a lot, a lot of people are becoming more comfortable with that. Well, thank you for sharing that. That gives me a more clear sense of what would be happening. And I really like the option of individual and group because they're both very valuable um, for different reasons. And uh, before we get to our strategy or technique, I just want to offer a moment to uh, maybe just reflect on our conversation. And if there's anything else that feels like it needs to be said or that's alive for you right now, or maybe um, just a little nugget that bears repeating. Mm -hmm. So if you want to just take a moment and kind of get a sense of if there's anything left to, to to be said. I'm, I'm sure there's a lot left to be said, but to share for today's conversation. Yeah. Um, there's so many things I would like to say. Um, but I want to just say this. Um, if you're feeling hopeless or your clients are feeling hopeless, if you're trying to figure this thing out, don't be in a hurry. This is not a, you know, sprint situation. This took years of development. And it's, it takes time, not years, but it takes time to, to really get to the bottom of this and work through it. And just be patient with yourself, love yourself, and um, give yourself the space that you deserve to get to the end of this journey. Because it's, it's really, it requires that. And if you're looking for a quick fix, you're not going to find it. You're not going to find it in a diet, that's for sure. And so um, I just hope everyone will just heed that advice and 
this whole viewpoint in our society about looking for the next quick fix to get thin will shift because once people get off that train, they can find a whole new path. Thank you so much. That's beautiful and uh, poignant for the experience of dieting, weight, emotional eating, and more specifically self-esteem and self-worth. Because as you're, as you previously mentioned, that really the the hope is is that they're not mutually ex- exclusive. No, separate things. Right. Exactly. I so- love it. Mm-hmm. I love it. So yeah, so here you here at the academy, you kind of mentioned taking taking it just from the brain and the hearing and talking about it um, and putting it into the body. So at the academy, we really love to have uh, experiential embodied practices. So after we've learned something, then we like feel it or practice it or do it, mm-hmm. and um, and that's also great for personal and professional kind of development. Um, but that being said, if you could share one strategy or technique for mental health professionals to use in their sessions with people struggling with their relationship to food, what would it be? Well, um, would you like me to walk you through it? Yes. Yes. Okay. So, uh, and I want to say, if you're doing this, you probably want to have a piece of paper handy for afterwards. Um, but this is, uh, I call this uh this is your butterfly vision, basically. And, um, and what I ask clients to do, and so what I'll ask you to do is just to close your eyes and just imagine yourself living your best life. And maybe that's a year from now. Maybe that's two to five years from now. Maybe it's six months from now. But you're living your best life and you've achieved what you knew you always wanted, whether that has to do with your body image, your lifestyle, your relationships. I want you to watch yourself like you're on a movie screen. You're sitting back in your comfy chair watching a movie. You're the star. How are you moving? What's different? What are you wearing? Who do you interact with? If you do a 360 of your body, can you see how you're carrying yourself? What does your hair look like from the back? What does your facial expression look like? Now I want you to just Come out of your chair and just step into that body, that body on the screen. Just be in that body and take a deep breath. Feel what it really feels like to live in that future version of you. To be in that body moving differently, acting differently, and living differently. How are you carrying yourself and what does it feel like to do that? When you're ready, I just want you to step out of the body, but to stay on that screen So you're right there with your future self. And I just want you to ask your future self anything 
that you would like to know that might help you on your journey. Just to really acknowledge with gratitude the time you've spent with this future version of you. Nice deep breath. And when you're ready, just slowly coming back and opening your eyes and jotting down anything you want to remember. And then the last part of our activity is going to be a now and then list. So I just want you to draw a vertical line down the center of your paper, right now on the left and then on the right. And I want you to start with the then side and just jot down everything you saw in your future self. And now go back to the now side and just take another deep breath and just notice who you are today and who you are becoming. Go ahead and fill in that now side. Where are you struggling? What's keeping you from being that future self right now? Great. And in my, in my book, um, I use this activity in my book, and I ask people to spend some time with this. I'm not going to ask you to do that now, but just to keep it, um, I ask people to write a mission statement for where they're going based on that future version of self, which I believe already exists. You just have to achieve it um, through steps and self-awareness and self-love. So, um, that's really step one to starting to move forward on your path. Thank you so much. That's exactly what my future self told me. Like the first one was like, you're already there or something like that. I was like, oh, I guess we're the same person. Yeah. Hey, that's great. <laughs> that's an awesome exercise. And so in doing that, we visualize that make our list and then spend some time with it. And can you give me an example of the, a mission statement? Mm -hmm. um, it would be something like, um, I will um, practice health habits when I wake up in the morning by spending time meditating, um, you know, uh, spending time with positive affirmation. I will move my body five days a week. I will choose foods that uh, I'm going to say are on my green and yellow list because that's another activity in my book, but that are healthy for me are okay to use with caution. Um, and um, I will um, be authentic in my relationships 
and um, allow myself the space to become who I choose to be. Something like that. That's off the top of my head, but you know, something like that where you use what you saw in your vision to really guide the mission statement so that it's, it's an actual statement of where you're going. Those are great examples and I'll take all the above. No. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's great. I, it's great to have a mission statement and to really reflect on it regularly. It's like a personal affirmation. It's just so personalized to you. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, thank you so much. I think that's a really great place to, to end our conversation now. I hope that there's more. And I'm really excited about the work that you're doing and uh, um, reading your book, which, by the way, does it come in Kindle format? Because Mm -hmm. I'm sorry, I didn't mean to. uh, It's Kindle on Amazon or paperback on Amazon called The Weight Within. Mm -hmm. All right. Well, thank you so much. I'm so excited. And and for our listeners, we will be linking to any of the information that we discussed today in our conversation and including Margie's contact information and everything else. Great. Thank you so much for having me. This was lots of fun. Same. I look forward to to more. Take care. Thank you. I hope you enjoyed this conversation with Margie Odom on the emotional eating cycles and the weight with them. It's been a pleasure hosting these conversations with you, and we would love to hear your feedback, suggestions, comments, or if you just want to say what's up, you can find us on www.academyimh.com, or you can shoot me an email at info at We look forward to hearing from you.